How's it going out there? Welcome to YEGMS episode 24 on the MSME radio network and also available as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. You can also find it on YouTube as well. As always, I'm Sean. I'm your host. Uh, I think it's going to be kind of a cool episode. It, the, I, have a, I did an interview uh, with a really, really good friend of mine who I'm, whom I've known for almost 20 years. Uh, and at one point, we actually, as an investment, bought a condo together, which you'll hear a little bit about. But the, the, the interesting thing about speaking to Dustin on this podcast for me, or on this radio show, depending on how you're consuming it, um, is he was there. I had a, you know, people who you've listened to the podcast or read my blog or or know me, um, I commonly refer to my major MS attack in 2007, but the truth be told, that wasn't my first attack. I just wasn't diagnosed. So uh, my first attack actually happened in 2004, uh, at which point in time I was uh, roommates with Dustin. Um, and so we tell that story, and, and then he was around in 2007 when I had my major attack. Uh, he watched through part of my recovery, and then he actually joined in the really long run to MMS last year. So it's a re- he's really, outside of my family, he'd be the person that's really seen the full progression of, of you know, my, my journey with MS. So it was, it was great to talk to him, and, and, uh, and it's really been great for him and I becoming friends again. We went for a long period there where, you know, we weren't so friendly. And we're reconnecting, and it's really cool because now we're reconnecting with our own kids. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm happy to have them on the show. Uh, but before I get to my chat with Dustin, I wanted to talk about something really cool that I've learned over the last uh, little while. I've been doing a lot of reading, and a lot of the reading I've been doing is uh, to help me professionally, but also to help me personally and just trying to find out you know, different techniques to uh, just to be all around better, I guess, just to be a better person, husband, father, employee, you know, manager, uh, even runner, I suppose. I mean, it, it would affect every part of my life. So anyway, I've been reading this book, and it is called Smarter, Faster, Better, and it's by Charles Duhigg, Duhigg, D-U-H-I-G-G. And, you know, so the tagline on the, on the cover is The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business. So anyway, I, was, I started reading that, the, the book and about a week ago or so. And I'm not going to go over the whole book with you. I just, it was something that I, I read that really, really stuck out for me. And in, early in the book, and I believe it's the first, the first chapter... He talks about uh, a concept referred to as locus of control. And you can either have an internal locus of control or an external locus of control. Now, the author mentions, uh, you know, there's some research that, uh, that shows that people with... Well, hold on, I should stop myself and explain what locus of control means and then I'll go into that example. Um, so basically what locus of control means is how you perceive events 
that happened to you? Do you internally believe that the choices that you make and the work and effort you put into your life affects those outcomes and affects those events? And, and, or do you believe externally and you have an external locus of control where you believe you know, events that happen to you are beyond your control. And, you know, I suppose aren't your fault. They're not beyond your control. And it's the world or the universe or other people doing things to you. Now, what the research shows, uh, according to this book, is that people who have uh, the skill, the life skill of having an internalized locus of control, meaning that you believe that you can affect the course of your life, you can, you know, the, the, the choices you make, the effort you put in, the energy you put in, can positively affect the outcomes in your life. And people who have an internal locus of control, according to the research, live longer, are happier, less depressed, healthier, more successful, etc., etc. You can see where this is going. And then people with an external locus of control, believing that basically the universe does to them rather than the other way around, are more depressed, unhappier, less successful, etc. And the reason why it struck me is I think that all of us in the MS community, and especially those of us that uh, are unfortunate enough to be uh, diagnosed, You know, as somebody who, who get, you know, becomes diagnosed with a chronic condition, how does that affect your locus of control? How does that affect the way you look at the world? I can remember, you know, very early on um, being very angry and wondering why this happened to me. And why is the universe doing this to me? And why isn't it somebody else? And, and, and externalizing all that. Now, eventually, you know, that shifted and changed. And I, you know, I developed a positive outlook. But I mean, initially, I mean, I'm human, you know. And it was... Uh... And it's funny because, you know, I actually... I run a, I, I'm a sales manager in my professional life. And I, and I run a team of sales guys. And I, through the example out to them because one of the things that when you're when you're training a, a junior salesperson um, who really has to go and find business in order to earn a living you know typically with young salespeople and, and growing salespeople new ones is, is they when they when they win a deal it was all them and when they lose a deal it's definitely external. It was the price. It was the product. It was the customer was stupid. It was. They don't connect that their choices, their effort, and what they brought to it uh, has a, a profound effect on your success as a salesperson over time. And you can't really be a salesperson for long or be successful at it if your your locus of control to use that term is is externalized you have to believe that 
you can hit the goals and hit the targets and, and make the income that you want to make and, and provide the life for your family you want to provide, you have to believe that comes from within. So how the hell does this apply to MS? Well, I, I think it's the same. I think if you want, and these are my, this is my belief, uh, but I believe that if you're going to have success with the disease, as, as contrary as that might sound, but if you're going to have success with the disease, you need to believe that you can have an effect. You need to believe that you can make choices that, well, of course you can't cure yourself, but certainly you can make it better for yourself. And part of that is taking control. You know, obviously you want to listen to your doctors, you, you know, you want to, but there are definitely things that you can do that will help in your recovery and help in your management of the disease. And, you know, obviously for me, you know, if any, if you know my story, exercise became a, you know, a huge part of my recovery to the point where I ended up running an ultra, well, several ultra marathons now. And, but initially how that started was me trying to take some ownership back of my life while I was recovering from the big attack, you know, like just trying to get back to some sense of being normal, just some feeling of normal. And that started, I didn't start running, I started walking. And, you know, walks became runs and, and so forth and so on. So, you know, I think it's, it's important to believe that you can have an effect on your condition, what's happening to you, and, you know, your life, your life as a whole. And it's no different from running. I mean, you make that choice. And it's funny that, I, you know, when I think about locus of control, I realize that in different facets of my life, I have both an external, internal, and external locus of control. And generally, when I externalize things, it means I'm, generally speaking, I'm probably being lazy or uh, I'm not wanting to take ownership of something. And when I, but when I internalize something and I make a choice to do something, you know, example of training to do a long run, uh, I make the right choices. So for me, my focus moving forward is going to try to be internalized more and more and more and externalized less and less and less. And I think that's important for, for anybody uh, with MS or, 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 you know, who's experiencing any sort of uh, duress in their lives is to take control back as much as you can. Empower yourself. And, well... I guess here we go. That that that's enough of the rant. But that's what locus of control is, and and I, you know, I hope that that uh, exposing you to that idea helps. Maybe you're you know maybe you're already way better than I am. I don't know, but I I found it useful, so I I thought I would share it here. Anyways, now, you know, the star of the show, my my good my dear friend Dustin, and my interview with him, and uh, you know, taking a look at. Uh, he was there, you know, the first time I had an attack, so he was there for the second one, too. So he's got an interesting perspective, and I hope you enjoy it. Currently sitting on Pigeon Lake. I've been spending the weekend here at the cabin we rented for the summer. And a good friend of mine, where we had a bit of a lapse in friendship there, but we won't get into that. Dustin is sitting with me, and Dustin was actually my roommate when I had my very, very first attack way back. 
in 2004, and that attack was undiagnosed. They just told me I had vertigo at the time. It wasn't until uh, 2007 that I got the official diagnosis. Anyways, the reason why I wanted to get dust on the, on, the, on the show is just to sort of talk through that morning. We've talked about it before we started recording, and I, I don't remember it as clearly as, as I thought, so um, why don't we start this way, Rusty. I, this is what I remember. I remember I woke up in the morning, I went to get out of bed, and I had no balance. I fell into the wall, and I think I crawled over to your room, pulled myself up into your doorway, and said something's wrong. And But this is where it breaks down for me. I thought you took me to the hospital, but... I think what happened was, um, yeah, you came to my door, and you were leaning on it, and um, you just, yeah, you looked like a sack of hammers. It was it was funny. You just your eyes were half half shut, and you're, yeah, you were pale, and... Just something, something was off. So I was like, uh, "Yeah, what, what's up?" And you weren't sure what was going on. You just, I'm, I don't know. I can't, I'm feeling really dizzy, and I fell into the wall. I think, I think I need to go to the hospital or whatever. And I kind of said, "Sure, but like, let me just get ready." And I'm not sure. You, you kind of, it was like we were talking about earlier. Wanted me to mention it. You just kind of looked like a, a guy that was trapped in his body. You're, you're moving slow. You might as well have been 90 years old and just trying to navigate your way down a dark hallway. Um, yeah, it was very strange. I knew something definitely was up. We didn't know what it was, but um, your, your body just definitely wasn't doing what it was supposed to. Um, but in any case, you must, yeah, you wandered off. I think you were probably in a state of medium shock as to worry as to what's going on. So um, I think you contacted your parents and let them know. And they says, okay, well, sit still and we'll be there in like a minute and a half. And I'm pretty sure they're, they're quick enough for me not to be able to get ready fast enough. Um, and I think I remember sitting at home worrying like, geez, I hope that guy's all right, because I'm pretty sure your dad and mom came and scooped you up really quick. Um, but yeah, after that, it's just a battle in terms of getting diagnosed properly and having the doctors tell you what actually is going on. Well, speaking of getting diagnosed properly, so they, they diagnosed me. They said, you, you have extreme vertigo. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really need to come, go to the hospital for you to tell me that. I mean, I know I couldn't stand up straight. So I remember, <laughs> I remember we were... You know, this is, this is always the thing, and the, the irony of what I'm about to say is that this is, about the, this is going to be broadcast on the Internet, but this is the problem with going to the Internet to try and self-diagnose and, and self-treat, because I remember my family and I, we started looking up vertigo, and we came across this, like, recipe that was supposed to help out, and it was ghee, which is G-H-E-E, -E, which is like an Indian butter, and you took some of that, and if I remember correctly, there was some sunflower seeds involved, or there was some type of seed involved, and you mix all this stuff together in a pan, and you ta and it tasted awful, and it didn't work at all. <laughs> it didn't do anything. Now, you know, we're talking about this, and you know, you were kind of you were kind of there through the whole evolution of this, because that was 2004, and then in 2000 and five or 2006, you and I partnered up and bought a condo. Was it 2005 or 2006? Do you remember? No, it was definitely in that ballpark, yeah. Those years just seemed to blend together. So the next big attack um, happened at, I was at work and at the, the restaurant that I was a partner in at the time, and that's when my whole right side went numb. And then I didn't work for 
I can't remember. I used to sit, remember you would come home and all I would do is sit on that, that old lazy boy that I had. Yeah. Now the question I have for you, so you're watching your friend, you know, 2004 happened, that kind of came, went, we didn't think anything of it. Two, you know, 2006-ish happens. I have the, the big attack and then I'm out. I mean, I didn't work for months and months and months. Um, I'm just wondering what, as somebody, you know, you're, you're a friend of yours who you live with, um, you know, you come and go for work, we pass each other in the halls, but how was that, what was it like for you? Did it, I'm just wondering what your perspective was. Well, when you started going through that stuff, obviously you're, you're going to need to go through it with your family first, um, seeking solutions and stuff, and you, you had your modified diets, and I don't know, you and I were pretty accommodating with each other um, back in the day, so you, you were knocked out on the couch. I could tell by a look whether you wanted to have <laughs> company or not. Um, but for the most part, I think it was more your ability to just treat it as if it's a, a door that's not opening that you have to walk through. You have to get through it, it's not opening, but we'll sort it out. And You never really played into it, you didn't panic, you didn't flip out. Well, like, what are you going to do? Um, something's up with me, i got to get it figured out, somebody's going to be able to tell me, there's always a solution, right? So, you, yeah, you, uh, you didn't really let yourself get too spun out about it. Um, your family isn't the type to get spun out about those kinds of things, so the environment was, there's an issue and we're looking into a solution, and then once you guys started to figure out what's going on and, and MS became the, I guess, the, the dominant issue, um, it was just, okay, now what do we do about that? You guys attacked it from a, almost like a business-like perspective. As something arises, you knock it down and you move forward. And your quote, I don't know if you've mentioned it before, your typical, it's just, what do you say, it's the monkey in the room or the... Yeah, no, the gorilla. The gorilla, yeah, it's the gorilla in the room. Yeah, it's, if you don't bother me, I don't want to He's, yeah, exactly right. So <laughs> it's not something, you just say, hey, man, how's, how's, how's the body? I'm doing fine, I'm doing great. Okay, well, awesome. And you're, what you've done since then in terms of your running and your biking is just phenomenal. It's, it kind of reminds me of what Jamie McInnes used to do when his body got a cold or got sick or something like that. He would punish it. He would punish his body for, for getting sick. Uh, well, two things there. So, Jamie McInnes is a guy that Dustin and I used to work with years ago who, uh, the best way to describe him is 100% a character. Um, we don't have time to go into the depths of Jamie McInnes here now, but, but the other thing you mentioned there is the run. So, okay, so we have 2004, that first tech happens, 2006, the big one, and then you and I had a falling out over the, over the sale of the condo. Yeah, we, we had a, <laughs> a friend divorce, yeah. And so then we fast forward. And so my second point on that was, you, you know, you mentioned the run. And so we, we, we talked about our sort of our friend divorce. So we went a good, uh, well, six years, seven years with very minimal contact at all. And then last year you, you ran, did you run 20? I did 10, yeah. You contacted me and asked me uh, what I could do, and <laughs> I was just a big-bellied plumber at the time, so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to start training and get some running in here, see how many kilometers I can do. I told you right off the bat I'd do five, and um, I did get up to a comfortable five pretty, I wouldn't say pretty easily, but we, we did it. My wife and I both started to run at that time, and it was a definitely an attainable goal, so that's what we did. Um, but when I got there, I got muscled into 10K. <laughs> Because that's where everybody was at at the time. They were all collected there. And so, so yeah, I, I got opted into the 10K at the, uh, 
at the run itself because when I showed up, nobody was at my 5K checkpoint and I was going, uh, am I at the right spot? So I drove up the road, found the rest of your family and stuff like that. It was a nice little, nice little reunion. Waited for you to come along and that's the 10K, yeah. So just to back up, so for, for listeners who aren't familiar, so in 2015, 2016, uh, both summers, so for the last, I didn't do it this summer, but the two previous summers, um, I did an event that I, I, I created an event called the Really Long Run to MS. It was an ultra marathon from one small Alberta city to another. It was 80K in a day. Uh, first year, it took me 11 hours to run it. The next, the second year, it took me just, just under nine hours, eight hours and 58 minutes to run it. And along the way, different people from different phases of my life and people that I, some people actually, in fact, that I never, I never met before, uh, joined us along the way. And so, yeah, in, in, over the two years, we raised almost $40,000 for the National, uh, National, National, the Multiple Sclerosis Society of Canada. And then, so Dustin, I, if I remember correctly, he joined us for the last 10K of last year. Because I think you came, you, you ran into the finish line, did you not? I did, yeah. You yeah. and your family was there. Yeah, you had, um, we had been bugging, well, I'd been bugging you for the past, like, year or so to see what was going on and how you doing and old friends and stuff like that. And eventually, uh, yeah, you, you popped out of your shell and, and said, I'm, I'm doing this run, would you mind getting involved? And I thought, well, um, if we're going to get our <laughs> friendship back on the road, what better way than to support him <laughs> with, the, uh, with the old uh, disease that is MS? So I was all for it. Yeah, when you said, help me out, I jumped on board. Yeah, why not? And, the most, and to close this up, but the most interesting thing about this for me, um, you know, with you kind of seeing all phases of this, is, you know, when we stopped talking, you had just met your now wife. I was about four or five months away from meeting my wife. And now we had that, you know, six year, seven year gap, but now we've been spending the weekends together with our kids, all running around, our wives and stuff, and it's been, it's been really fantastic. So I appreciate you doing this, and, and, and thanks for being on and, and, and sharing, you know, a few minutes. We have to get going because uh, everybody's anxious to go boating. So uh, any, any final thoughts? No, buddy, I'm just really happy that you're able to deal with this situation so much. I know there's a lot of people out there struggling, and, and you, you see them on the Internet and stuff like that that are just having issues with their disabilities and stuff. Um, hang in there. Uh, do whatever you can to get your body moving, and, and there's always an answer. So just do your best. Cool. Rusty, thanks very much. So that was my conversation with my really good friend, Dustin, who's watched sort of the breadth of my fight against multiple sclerosis. It's been uh, fantastic spending time with him and his family uh, out at the cabin. I think we've been last th three of the last four weekends out there. So really good reconnecting with him and, and getting his kind of helping me remember how everything happened. And that was also really brief uh, introduction to the concept of locus of control. I uh, would recommend to, well, anyone really, but to any MS warrior out there, look it up, kind of get familiar with the concept and, and see if you can make it work for you. If, you know, taking power back in your own life and, and empowering yourself and uh, believing that your choices and your efforts and the things that you do matter. And then not only do they matter to other people, but they can have a profound effect on the outcome of, of your life, really. So, yeah, have a look at it and, and uh, 
I'm sure you can find tons of information online. And once again, for anyone who's curious, the book I'm reading, once again, is Smarter, Better, Faster, The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business by an author by the name of Charles Duhigg. And as always, uh, if you ever want to reach out to me, you can always uh, drop me a line at Sean, S-E-A-N, at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. That's O-W-N, multiplesclerosis.com. You can get me there anytime. You can also follow me on Twitter, at ownms.com1. You can also read my blog and check out stuff there, and I got research posted on the website as well, O-W-N, MultipleSclerosis.com. That's OwnMultipleSclerosis.com. Now, in between, uh, well, the next episode of this airs, I will have done the MS Bike in Hinton, Alberta. It's a mountain bike ride, very similar to the MS Bike Tours, but it's in the mountains. And I'm meeting a bunch of my old high school buddies from the early 90s. They're coming up from Kamloops, BC to meet me there and, and ride the ride with me. And I'm and if any of you are listening or are there, definitely say hi. And maybe we can even do an interview. And if you want to be on the show, uh, we can talk about anything you want. Uh, tweet at me, email me. You can even find Old Multiple Sclerosis on Facebook. But anyway, that's all my time. I've, uh, you know, these radio shows, they're, they're tight on time. But uh, happy to be part of the MSME Radio Network. And you can find the YEGMS podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube. See you next time.